0: America. Uh, ten, ha. Let's repeat our creed. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. Sissy. At ease. Good evening, troops. I'm that guy, your Thrill Sergeant, Uncle Jimmy. Y'all ain't new to this, y'all true to this. So let's keep it real, y'all know the drill. Let's hit them buttons. Hit them likes, hit them subscribes. Jason wants five stars, okay? Let's give it to him, all right? Now some of you might not agree with Jason and you might not feel he's worth five stars, but let me tell you something. Back in Kansas City, Jason was a spokesperson for the Big Brothers Big Sisters. And Jason would donate his time whenever and wherever possible, okay? And Jason, we used to use him as a bounce house for the kids. And he became a on-site favorite attraction. So let's give him five stars. If nothing else, let's give it to him for that, all right? Listen here, I can show you better than I can tell you, but the fact is, we have a jam-packed show today, okay? Today's show is gonna be more packed than Jason's Cuervos and a pair of extra small Speedos, okay? All right, now real quick, before I forget, Regarding Tiger Woods, since it seems like he's he's trending, all right? Tiger, do me a favor. Listen to your boy, Uncle Jimmy. All right, I know how you feel, but it comes a day in every man's life when he can't drive it as long and as hard as he once did, okay? Let me tell you something, Tiger. Back in the day, in the streets of Kansas City, they used to call me Jimmy the Jimmy Longstroke. Now I done came to Nashville and now I had to change my title to just Jimmy Blaze. Okay? Tiger, you're gonna just have to accept the fact that you may not win another major golf tournament, okay? But look at the bright side. You can come and hang out with me at the Masters Mini Golf Tournament. Now it's not gonna be in Augusta, okay? It's gonna be in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Okay, and it's gonna be at the Masters Barbecue and Fish Fry Mini Golf Tournament. And it's all gonna be held in the name of Jesus, of course. So like I told y'all, today's show is gonna be like Jason the day after Thanksgiving. It's stuffed. Now we have returning to the show, we got Jason Kelly. And he has a very, very interesting spin on things in Wisconsin. Next we have our guy, the Minister of Intel, Professor D. Delano Squires, okay? And he's gonna be here to discuss his latest column that he wrote for The Blaze. And I know you're gonna jump and love it. Then. Check this out. We're gonna talk about some things going on in the world of college football. We're gonna have the real TJ, TJ Moe, as well as our overseas affiliate, Steve Kim, all right? They're gonna be here talking some things about college football and the things going on. And lastly, (laughs) we have the first lady of the fearless family, the real Michelle, Shamika Michelle, okay? And she's gonna be here to talk about Jason's column dealing with Kanye West and her marriage And uh, she's gonna add her thoughts on this situation and talk about what she thinks about Kanye and Kim's little entanglement. Listen, I'm just glad that Shamika's back here today. And I don't, I'm so happy I don't know what the hell to do. Because seeing Shamika makes me feel like a man. And anytime I see her, I have to say, present (laughs) arms! Release the doves! Release the hounds! I need you to type dilly dilly if you feel me. And like they say in Steven the universe, if every pork chop was perfect, there'd be no need for hot dogs. So here he is, the biggest hot dog of them all, the big boss, Jason Big Whitlock. Check it out, y'all. <laughs> ¶¶
2: Uh, Jimmy, uh, (laughs) I'm actually more of a bratwurst than a hot dog, uh, so I don't appreciate that. And also, uh, Jesse Kelly is coming on the show, not Jason Kelly. You guys know Jesse Kelly from the Jesse Kelly radio show uh, out of Houston, Texas. It's nationally syndicated. Anyway, Jesse will be on the show. Other than that, Jim, uh, good job. I'm a bratwurst and... uh, Jesse Kelly's coming on the show. All right, I've got a great fire uh, (laughs) that I'm about to blaze. I could get in trouble for this one. I actually could, seriously. This is probably the most dangerous fire that I've ever started. Uh, Let's get to it. Kanye West married the wrong whore. I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian. I'm referring to fame. Kardashian is the other F word. She's a feminist, which is just as bad. Fame is Kanye's true love, the addiction that alternately tortures and pleases him, the obsession that has turned his life into the Truman Show, the fixation that caused him to abandon the name his mother gave him and relentlessly pursue a woman who loves transactionally. Kanye West is a fame whore and a cuck. His relationship with Kardashian is emblematic of an American male culture that chases social media approval and disavows man's natural leadership instincts to maintain peace at home with a feminist spouse. A seductive tramp brought a billionaire rapper to his knees. But Kim Kardashian is really just a symptom of Yee's fame addiction. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm calling him Yee, you call him Yay. She's the crack pipe lost beneath the driver's seat of his car. She's a clue to the depth of his descent and addiction. At 19, while high on ecstasy, she married a music producer. At 26, she fueled her celebrity with a leaked sex tape. At 31, she married a journeyman NBA player. By age 33, she was married to Kanye West. Today, as of this show, the mother of four is in a relationship with a 28-year-old comedian. On Thanksgiving Day, Kanye released a five-minute self-emasculating video begging for Kim Kardashian to take him back and copying to a laundry list of wrongdoings. He called the video a prayer, and a choir sang in the background. It was not a prayer. It was a confession to a false god, the fame whore, delivered at the altar of social media. Here's some highlights from Kanye's Thanksgiving prayer. On this Thanksgiving,
3: I'm so thankful for family, my blood family, my fans, and our haters. We love you too. All I think about every day is how I get my family back together and how I heal the pain that I've caused. I take accountability for my actions. New word alert, misactions. The one thing that all my successes and failures have in common is me. Let's start with A, alcohol. I would drink to take the stress away, to knock the edge off. Drinking affected my health and the health of people around, around me because I already had a hair-trigger temper, and this just heightened it. B, episodes. I went into a manic episode in 2016, and I was placed under heavy medication. Since then, I went on and off the medication, which left me susceptible to other episodes, which my wife and family and fans have had to endure. When I got saved, it did not immediately make me a better person. It made me a self-righteous Christian. I was arrogant with my Jesus, like I had just got me some Jesus at the Gucci store with a stimulus check. Let's go with politics here. Good Lord, my wife did not like me wearing the red hat. Being a good wife, she just wanted to protect me and our family. I made me and our family a target by not aligning with Hollywood's political stance, and that was hard for our marriage. Then I ran for president without proper preparation and no allies on either side. I embarrassed my wife in the way that I presented information about our family during the one and thank God only press conference. I've had to learn that I had to take accountability. We always judge and tell other people what they should do, but we can only take accountability for ourselves and our children. This Thanksgiving, I'm thankful for the family that
2: my wife has given me. As far as celebrities go, Kanye West is a darling of conservatives. He supported President Donald Trump. He professes Christian faith. From the single Jesus Walks to the album Jesus is King, West is one of the few commercial rappers who explores Christian themes. I've always defended Kanye. But his Thanksgiving prayer and his work with Little Nas X on the song, Industry Baby, make me suspicious of Kanye's true motive and unable to sympathize with his journey. Religion is just another tool Kanye is using to pursue fame. Any heterosexual man can relate to being madly in love with the wrong woman. What's unrelatable, or at least grossly unsavory, is using God, a choir, and prayer in pursuit of that woman. Kanye's Thanksgiving prayer should be retitled, Kim is King. Replay one of those comments from Kanye in Thanksgiving prayer. Good Lord, my
3: wife did not like me wearing the red hat. Being a good wife, she just wanted to protect me and our family. I made me and our family a target by not aligning with Hollywood's political stance. And that was hard for our marriage.
2: Kanye just explained why many men, particularly black men, are reluctant to support Trump and or admit that they reject the left's undermining of the patriarchy. Men fear losing their wives and girlfriends. It's the brilliance of the Democratic Party and corporate media painting Trump as the second coming of Adolf Hitler and Ted Bundy rolled into one US president. Trump is a wedge issue inside a marriage or a relationship. Women see him as a racist predator. Weak men go along with the charade. Trump support is a lethal issue within a relationship dependent on fame. Kim Kardashian has no real issue with Trump. In her quest to defend people she deemed wrongfully convicted of crime, Kardashian rolled in and out of the White House whenever she felt like it. She wanted Kanye to keep a safe distance and not publicly wear his true political views. It sounds like a reasonable request inside of a marriage. However, it's not reasonable when you believe the political opposition is attempting to rewrite the Constitution, dismantle Western civilization and the nuclear family, stir racial animus, define heterosexual Christian men as evil, and surrender power to China. Conservatives want the same freedoms liberals enjoy. Under the guise of stopping climate change and preventing white supremacists from overthrowing our government with flagpoles, Liberals proudly wear their political views and affiliation. Conservatives believe they're saving the world too. Kanye wants his family back. He should be repaying, should be praying for a return of his balls. He can't see that Kim stole them. His addiction to fame clouds his vision. Don't make the mistake Kanye made. Don't marry, date, or bed a feminist. Don't let a woman blind you to the truth. Mmm. That's my fire. (laughs) I'm bringing out uh, Shamika Michelle to either fan these flames or douse them and put them out. Uh, Shamoke show, we're gonna roll out to uh, North Carolina and bring in Shamika. Uh, Shamika, am I crazy? Well, let's start here. Let me start with a just a jump. Gen- Before I, we put my thoughts into it, what was your reaction to Kanye's Thanksgiving prayer?
4: You know, I I definitely thought it was weak. The part about him saying that she didn't like him wearing the red hat and that he made his family a target because he went against Hollywood's political stance—I was just—and it was bad for his marriage. I was just thinking, why? Why is that bad for your marriage? With what we know about Hollywood, why would that be an issue in your marriage? So I didn't like that part. I didn't like that he said he spends all day, you know, wanting to get his family back. I appreciate him wanting to hold on to his family, but to me this was just, it was begging, it looked weak, and here it is you have your wife out here not giving a damn about you out here parading around when she's still legally your wife with this 28-year-old crack pipe. I just didn't think it was a good look at all.
2: You make an excellent point that I wish I had thought of in terms of Kanye standing against what Hollywood stands for is actually a good thing, particularly for a man that espouses all this Christian faith. Kim Kardashian tries to call herself a Christian. I don't know anybody that has faith that wouldn't be standing against what Hollywood stands for right now and has stood for for a long time. It's it's a promotion of promiscuity. It's a promotion of the emasculation of men. It's a promotion of LGBT values. It's it's almost anti-biblical or anti-Christian. And so I could see Kanye, if he's trying to live up to these Christian, he has no choice but to stand against what, poli- what Hollywood stands for.
4: Exactly, so that's why I didn't understand why this would be an issue in his marriage. And when he went on to say that the way he presented his ideas was an embarrassment to her, it it just didn't make complete sense to me. So I can I, you know, from the beginning, I have not felt like Kim was a good fit for him. To me, she is his Beyonce, to me, Kanye worships the ground that Jay-Z walks on. And so when Beyonce said, I break the internet top two and I ain't number two, I feel like Kanye said, well, let me get, I I need number two. I feel like from the beginning he saw what Kim looked like and that was something that he wanted. He wanted what Jay-Z had. He's a, a great artist in his own right, but I feel like he has just been chasing his own version of Beyonce.
2: Mm. So what you're really arguing is and which is pretty obvious, but Kanye has his own insecurity and identity issues. And and you know, off the top of my head, I can't I don't know, did Kanye have much of a relationship with his father? Uh he he I know he was very close to his mother, but Here's a guy with all this money, all this fame, but seems to be locked in an identity struggle.
4: Yeah, definitely. I haven't really heard him speak anything really about his father, but I do know or it's obvious that he worships the ground Jay-Z walks on. I could just hear him breaking out in song. Did you ever know that you're my hero? Because it just seems like anything Jay-Z does, Kanye wants to do. So he had a very good relationship with his mom, and it, it does seem that he kind of spiraled here. Heal after her death but Kanye really seems lost and and not really sitting in his musical genius. I think he's a great artist but it's almost like he doesn't realize it even though he brags about it and he boasts about it so much I don't even think he really really understands that and sits in that he's always looking for something else and some type of validation in some type of way
2: well ho- You uh, were mimicking a different song, but didn't Kanye write a song about his relationship with Jay-Z and basically how he, he is his hero? Big Brother. Big Brother, yeah, he did the song Big Brother.
4: And see, I, I don't even know that song. I didn't, I didn't even know that, but I could just tell by the way he, they interact or when they were friends, how he would interact with them. I remember when he ran up on stage because Beyonce didn't win and Taylor Swift did. And I was thinking her own husband didn't run up on stage, but you feel like it's your job to run up on stage and say that she should have been the winner. It just was very weird to me the way he worshiped them.
2: Shamika, I want you to listen. As soon as you hear the song, I, you're gonna remember
3: brother, Who is no ID friend, no ID my mentor. I let the story begin. It's the hard knock life to sellout picture.
2: All right, I gotta quit playing it before we get in trouble. But yeah, I, I definitely remember the song Big Brother and it was basically an ode to Jay-Z. Uh, hey, my other question, or other, I got more than one. What do you think about my take that men particularly black men, should avoid marrying feminists.
4: I totally agree. I think if you really want a woman who is going to take her rightful place, you don't need a feminist. Now, I know that some people may disagree with you as far as whether or not Kim is a feminist, but let me tell you, I think that we get confused because we see Kim is very feminine. She understands her sexuality and I think she knows how to use it, but I don't think that she knows her place and her role in this earth realm as a woman. To me, when I think of a feminist, I think of somebody that thinks they are equal to a man. And when I say we are not equal, I don't mean that we we are not as important or significant, but I think when you spend so much time trying to be equal with a man, you forget your purpose for being on this earth. You know, we were created for men, not the other way around. And I think that Kim has always been in, in competition. She's always been worried about her brand. She's always been worried about how she looks and and her, and her money. I don't think she ever married any of these men to be a true help meet to them, to support, assist, fulfill, and satisfy. I don't think that was her first role ever. And I don't think Kanye was any different. I think Kim was in it all for herself. I think she sees herself as equal to men, even though she is feminine, she's beautiful, she dresses nicely. I don't think she sees herself as a true support or help. And so therefore, to me, she is a feminist because if you are not fulfilling your role in this earth realm as a woman, You know, you begin to diminish what your role actually is because you're so busy trying to compete or be equal to a man. So she would be a feminist to me. And I think black men should avoid that unless you're fine with, you know, not having the respect and admiration that you deserve. I think a lot of women sometimes get with men who they feel are incompetent to make them seem more competent. And we have socially engineered men to think that this is okay. And so it just really depends on what you value as a man. Do you wanna be respected and admired? Or do you want a woman who looks total, you know eye to eye with you, stands toe to toe to you, with you and act as if she can take you down at any moment so i think they should be avoided but you know some men have been conditioned to believe that that's that's okay
2: at some point i may do a whole show on this or certainly a much longer segment but and i don't i got many friends several friends who i believe are afraid to tell their spouse, girlfriend, whatever, their true political beliefs because they know they would get cut off from that special place and perhaps have their entire relationship ended if they told their women what they truly believe politically. Do, do you do you find that amongst your friends? You think I'm wrong for thinking that many men are lying to their spouses or girlfriends just to keep the relationship intact?
4: Yes. And I don't even think it's just political. I think it's. All around. I've been interviewing men for a book that I want to do, and I had three pages of notes with one man before he finally was able to say, I want a woman who puts me first. It took three pages of notes for him to get to that because he was so afraid to voice that out loud. I've talked to men all the time that say, you know, um, I'm I'm pretty much married to a CME, meaning she only gives it up on Christmas. Mother's Day and Easter. And I'll say, have you talked to her? Why don't you tell her how how you feel? And he'll say, what's the point? You know, it's not going to change anything. And so I do feel like a lot of men are afraid to say how they really feel, not just about politics, but in everything they have been you know, conditioned to be silent. They have really taken their nuts and put them in a jar and put them on the mantle because they certainly aren't where they're supposed to be.
2: Uh, show. I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna get to Delano. Uh, I will end on this note. I had a, not a close friend, but uh, a former college teammate, married one of the prettiest girls on our campus, Uh, maybe the prettiest, and He complained that he only got sex on their anniversary and at Christmas. And
4: I. That's true. I thought it was crazy when I heard it.
2: (laughs) Thank you. you. I want to talk to you guys uh, for a moment about a new documentary uh, that's coming out Enemies Within the Church. This is a film that the evangelical establishment does not want you to see. Enemies within the church exposes those who are selling out the church to postmodernism and the money behind them. Postmodernism includes agendas commonly known by the terms social justice, intersectionality, critical race theory, and neo-Marxism. The problem does not merely affect the church around the corner. Postmodernism is not just hurting the more liberal denominations, it is everywhere, and it is being spread by the efforts of the intellectual leaders many Christians look up to. Enemies within the church will expose the bad ideas, but also the bad actors and the bad money. This film brings together Christian voices from across the nation and the world to share what they have seen firsthand. Every Christian and patriot needs to see the film and then share with everyone that you know. Go buy the DVD or purchase the pay-per-view streaming at enemieswithinthechurch.com. That's enemieswithinthechurch.com. This is personal for me. A good friend of mine, Judd Saul from Iowa, uh, participated in the making of this documentary. It's something that we all need to see and digest and understand what's happening inside the church. All right, stick around. Professor Delano Squires, next. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to Washington DC and talk to the smartest man on the show. Uh, Delano has written a column about uh, some solutions, the antidote uh, for some uh, democratic policies, a way to push back. He calls it the you first uh, (laughs) plan. But before we get to Delano's column, I want to get to Delano's take on my take on Kanye West and Kim Kardashian and his Thanksgiving prayer And Delano, I'm gonna start you here. Mm -hmm. Do you believe Kanye is using religion in pursuit of fame? Or do you think he is sincere in his religious pursuits?
5: That's a a great question. Um, I tend to think that Kanye is sincere in his religious pursuit. Now, the extent to which his faith is genuine is something that him and God are going to have to sort out. Right. I can't look into a man's heart and tell whether he is truly converted or regenerate or born again, however you want to phrase it. But I don't I don't doubt that he feels a particular religious conviction and sees himself as a Christian regardless of what his his actions would would demonstrate. So in that sense, I I tend to think that he's sincere and I I thought he was sincere when he made the Jesus is King album and when he's talked about his faith publicly. But um, since that time, he's done a number of things and said a number of things that make me question whether or not I'm dealing with an actual, you know, born again Christian. Or someone who has sort of deep moral convictions, you know, so with a sort of a sprinkle of religiosity sort of papered on top.
2: You know, let me ask a different question then. That's related, because uh, I agree with you. It's difficult to second guess anyone's walk, uh, and because you don't know how tough their struggle is. Do you think? his walk, the way he's walking it publicly, Hmm. is that good or bad for Christians and faith? Is he setting a good example? Is he helping or hurting? Because I I gotta say this, when I was living in, or not living, but I don't wanna exaggerate, but when I was spending a lot of time in strip clubs and uh, drinking and carousing and just, That's one of the I had religious faith, but Mm -hmm. I did not wear it publicly because I didn't want to make a fool out of other Christians and or myself. Mm. I didn't want to misrepresent the faith. And so I kept my religious convictions more private. I, I would occasionally reference it in columns and things like that. I'm wondering if he's doing a disservice while he's struggling so mightily. Is he doing a disservice by wearing his face so publicly?
5: Jason, I think that's a question that every Christian has to to deal with at some point, because basically what we're getting into is whether a self-professed believer is tarnishing the family name by the things that they say, do, and advocate publicly. Um, all of us have to do that. I've, I've been there. There are people who... You know, when I was younger, maybe my college years, may have said, Oh, Delano goes to church. He said he's a Christian. But they see me, you know, sneaking out of certain places or leaving certain people in, in my apartment and saying, Okay, that, that behavior doesn't look particularly Christian to me. So I, I think, you know, many of us, you know, particularly in our infancy stage in our faith, have had to walk that out. I, I'll say this I think um, the release of Jesus as king a couple years ago was good Kanye, so to speak. And I say that because, I mean, he had songs on there that, I, that sounded like a battle cry from a man deeply ensconced in sort of Hollywood and media and popular culture, but who was taking an unambiguously Christian stance with his art and his public proclamations he wasn't just talking about spirituality in some general sense. He wasn't just talking about God in some, you know, sort of fuzzy sense. He was, I think the last song on that, the hook was, you know, Jesus is Lord, and he was repeating that. So I think having him utter the name of Christ publicly to an audience that in large part is probably not a Christian audience, I thought that was a good thing. But then when you fast forward and you find out, that Kanye West was a producer on Lil Nas X's Industry Baby, in which Lil Nas X, both the song and the video, depicted him in you know, gay prison sex scenes and you realize that Kanye West is one of the producers on that. That to me is bad, Kanye. And I think it reflects a, a more general sort of through line in his life, at least since he's been a public figure, in which Kanye West is just, he's just an unpredictable person. So one day he'll say one thing, he's living this particular type of life, he has this particular name, he's into this particular thing, and then two months later, he may be into something totally different. And it's hard, and I know, and I'll say this for me personally, and I think maybe for other Christians who were happy about what he was doing with with that album, uh, Jesus is King, it's hard to then see that person seemingly turn their back on the things that they were talking about. I mean, that one song closed on Sunday, he, he talked about raising your son raising your sons in the faith, protecting your daughters, and not being a slave to the culture. And I was like, yes, that's that's exactly what we need more rappers to talk about. But then you fast forward a couple years and I mean, he seemed like he was back in the cultural change that he had threw off when he released that album. So Kanye is just a hard person to pin down. And if I was, if anybody who's looking for someone to put their faith in, right, publicly, and saying, I believe what this person is saying 100%, I'm riding with them, they should not choose Kanye West because he's just, he's way too unpredictable and merc- mercurial and, you know, he, he's going to blow at some, at some points wherever the wind is blowing. So people should be careful.
2: I've lived long enough, Delano, to remember that political affiliation was pretty much a non-issue as it related Mm -hmm. to relationships between men and women. It it didn't matter who you voted for, what your political beliefs were. You know, there was a common, there was common ground between the two political parties and ideologies. Uh, That no longer seems to exist. And I'm wondering your thoughts on my contention that there are Many men, but particularly black men, who have to lie or with or conceal what they really think politically, in order to maintain a relationship. Have you seen that? That's that's a great question. I think uh, you know
5: if I if I could deal with the general sort of analysis first, right. I think in many ways, and we've talked about this on the show, when you substitute religion for politics and you put politics in the place that faith used to, used to um, hold in terms of the culture, what you have is a difficulty with people who now really are in, you know, in some respects, interfaith marriages and trying to blend those two things, liberal ideology, conservative ideology, it's very difficult for people, particularly when one, one of those things, particularly on the conservative side, comes with um, a set of cultural penalties that many people just don't want to pay. And that's why when I mean, Kanye West in his quote unquote prayer talked about not wearing a red hat, it was ironic because Kim Kardashian was seen in pictures with President Trump. She went to the White House, she advocated, particularly on the, on the you know, criminal justice reform side and, and for specific people. She advocated for people, so she was deeply ensconced in politics and nobody sort of questions that. She doesn't pay any penalty for that. But when Kanye West puts on the red hat and he sits down with Trump and Jim Brown in a room full of reporters and he talks about, you know, feeling like Trump was a guy he could relate to and not feeling connected to the Clinton campaign and all the other things, and seeing how Trump reacted to him, I think he realizes now that he, he paid a, a heavy penalty as it relates to the culture. Um, so in that respect, do, do I think that there's a broader lesson there in terms of um, men and their ability to express political opinions that go against the dominant narrative? Yes, I do. I think a lot of guys hide the things that they really Believe um, when it comes to cultural or social or political issues, a lot of guys function um, in the function with respect to women in the same ways that many white people will function with respect to black people, which is they want to be seen as good people, they want to be seen as feeling and empathetic and compassionate, they don't want to be tarred as um, you know misogynist or sexist or whatever, and they will do and say things publicly that they don't actually believe privately. Um, Do I think that that's stronger among black men? I think for a a small segment of black men, I, I think the biggest difference is that at least politically, right? And I'm talking about what you can measure through the voting process. Black men vote a lot more liberal than white men do. So for white men, I wanna say it's about 40%, 40 to 45% of white men vote for the Democratic Party every presidential election. Um, And then the rest of those, about 55% vote for the Republicans. But for black men, it's closer to about 80 to 85% of black men vote for Democrats every election. So there are a lot of black men who, again, through their exhibited behavior, tend to lean more to the left. Now, Jason, and I know, and I, and I think we would both agree on this, when you press these guys and ask them to what extent the things that they actually do and live line up with their, with their views, that's where I think you start to see the disconnect. So, for instance, I'm sure there's more than one black man out there, particularly if they've been college educated, who totally bought into the transgender ideology and they say trans rights are human rights and they'll say a trans woman, trans women are women. But if you say, oh, really? Okay. Um, I know a trans woman down at the job. She's looking for a blind date. Do You mind if I, I, if I hook you up, it's like, no, I'm, get out of here, I'm, uh, ain't there no man in a dress? So, so publicly they'll affirm something that they don't actually believe privately. And that, uh, that type of phenomenon accounts for at least 45% of all the things that we discuss in, in politics and culture. So um, I, I do think that that, that dynamic exists. Um, but again, I think a lot of men, particularly in our community, have been captured by sort of the leftist ideology. And they'll only see the disconnect when you really force them to, to make certain decisions based on, the, on that ideology in, in their um, actual lives.
2: And so that leads me to, I think, within black culture, black men, we are being forced to acquiesce, support uh, a matriarchal culture in Mm -hmm. order. And and I think that, you know, I, I was... Thanksgiving, I was with some family in Cincinnati, and I was listening to a very intelligent young black woman that goes to a, a prominent university, and, and she was proudly saying, black women are the backbone of mm. Mm. black society and black culture, And but as soon as I said, I go, you know, I'm not even gonna disagree with that. But what you're really saying is, man, we got a weak backbone. Uh, mm. <laughs> because this matriarchal culture just is, and she she was like, she shook her head and agreed and acknowledged it. But I, this is a very bright, young person, very attractive young person, and I just can't. And she, we got into a big conversation about her dating pool and w- w- what was available, and I, I just can't. She's got a, di- a tiny pool. And any man that hops on board with her is going to have to probably bow to her. She's going to be more educated. This is a very bright person, doing very well in school, comes from a very good family. She's built for major success. And 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 she was talking openly about what type of men were available to her and what, you know, what her standards were. And again, the, it was just this little tiny pool. And I was thinking, whoo, and he's going to have to <laughs> bow down to her. Mm. And, and I'm just I, I, I see black because of this political bent, because of of the way society Black culture is so matriarchal, I don't think we could, maybe we can never recover from that. We, we, we mm. men will never be leaders again within black families, black culture, the black church. Mm. I, I, I just, I guess I'm very pes- pessimistic about that. Your thoughts as someone who's actually in a marriage <laughs> and li- yeah. I'm speculating, you're living it.
5: I I wanna be hopeful. Um, I, I choose to have faith that the type of revival, you know, revolution, renaissance, whatever word you wanna call it, that needs to take place in American culture generally, but specifically within black culture, I'm hopeful that that can take place. I'm hopeful because of shows like this, I'm hopeful because of other black men and women who are thinking clearly, who understand that trying to subvert the rules and laws of nature never ends well. I'm hopeful for people like that. I'm hopeful for just a, a resurgence in terms of national conservatism more generally and hearing people prioritize culture, the family. Uh, um some of our other social institutions above you know a five percent tax cut and ensuring that you know Amazon and, and and Twitter and Facebook have the right regulatory environment in which to operate in the United States I'm hopeful for people conservatives whether they be black or white who say you know what we're not going to have a country if our families continue to disintegrate at the rate that they've been been disintegrating. So I'm hopeful for those things. I, I do think that there's a remnant out there to, again, bar for some some biblical terminology, um, because some, some of these guys I know personally. I know guys who who are married men, faithful to their wives, love their children, you know, lead their families well, would die for their families, would do anything to protect their loved ones. Um, I see these men, and I, and I know them personally. Now, is that the vast majority of black men throughout America? P- probably not in terms of, you know, men who are have not been again, captured by sort of that that leftist ideology. But I think there there are enough seeds there that um, we could we can grow some some some, even from a young age, some boys who can, take that position in in the next generation. Because one of the things, and and as I said, when you try to subvert nature, um, you you always run into trouble. And for as much as women like the the person you're describing talk about being an alpha female and they're strong and independent and empowered, women like that don't tend to stay long with men that they can dominate and control because they just lose respect for them. And, And that's why I'm talking about nature, right? If somebody is going to lead, and to paraphrase, you know Pastor Vodibacum, anything with no heads is dead, and anything with two heads is a monster. So somebody's going to lead. Nature lines up so that when um, men lead women, particularly husbands lead their wives and, and their families, that, that, is, that, that sort of goes with the grain. But when men are subordinate to their wives, and even their children in some respects. Because we, we're not even talking about the guys who are scared to even talk to their 16-year-old daughters. The girls are going out dressed like they're out for uh, employment at, at nighttime, and the dads feel, well, I, I can't really say anything because that would really just be me replicating patriarchy. So they become so toothless, they can't even speak to their own children. But when a man is like that, eventually a woman loses respect for him. and And then they will begin to play their hand and press their advantage in the way that men who lose respect for their wives do. So it it starts out, guy comes home at 11 o'clock, doesn't really say much, and I had a late work night to, he's not even come home at all because he knows that his wife won't say anything. And eventually, women end up doing the same things. And I think that is one of the reasons that a lot of marriages and relationships are struggling. Feminism teaches men and women to see each other as adversaries as opposed to interdependent parts of a single body. And I'm talking about husbands and wives here. So it it ends up functioning like an autoimmune disease. It attacks the body from within. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I think feminism is toxic for the culture and particularly toxic for for relationships. It's, It's a subversive ideology and that's why anything built on it can't stand. And that's why we're to the point now where the feminists have subverted their own movement so much that now they are bringing in men to advocate for. The feminists who worked throughout the 70s, the 60s and 70s to get abortion legal, to get women into the workplace, are now taking up the cause of biological males and telling them that they are the new uh, preferred class and that biological females need to sit down and shut up. And that's why you're starting to see more and more women say, I'm breaking from this stuff." I'm a woman, I've always been a woman. I know what women are. Caitlyn Jenner is not a woman.
2: Mm. Uh, Delano, I I want to talk a little bit about, or give you an opportunity to talk about the column you wrote today. You were Mm -hmm. so good on the Kanye topic, we kind of went a little longer than I anticipated, but you're suggesting a you first policy as an Mm -hmm. antidote, uh, for some of the things the left is trying to do. Walk us through your column today. Sure,
5: I mean the argument is very simple and I, I mentioned this in, um, in the piece itself. Just as a matter of personal practice and cultural analysis, my, my most basic um, philosophy is this. I do not encourage, um, argue for, cosign or defend anything for somebody else's house that I wanted for my own. And what I'm saying in the column is that too many politicians, typically on the left, but not exclusively, they they argue for things for their constituents that they're not willing to um, endure themselves. So I talk about um, the candidate, one of the candidates for governor in New York, New York State, Jumaane Williams, who's currently the New York City public advocate, which is basically the number two position in the city under the mayor. So if there's ever a mayoral uh, vacancy, the public advocate would assume the office of mayor. This is a guy who last year was arguing to defund the police. And I'm not talking about moving a few nickels and dimes from one program to another. I mean, he wanted a billion dollar cut from NYPD's budget, which was about 20% of the budget. And he wanted a hiring freeze. So he was calling for fewer uh, police and public safety resources, particularly in the neighborhoods that he represents, right? Black and brown neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And at the same time, he moved him and his family from Flatbush, Brooklyn, which some of the neighborhoods tend to be high crime and, and you know, suffer from a lot of gun violence. He moved his family onto an army garrison, Fort Hamilton, where he is surrounded by armed soldiers 24 hours a day. And on top of that, he has an NYPD police detail. So the guy who argues for fewer cops, fewer police resources, and to demilitarize the police in New York City spends 24 hours a day surrounded by cops and soldiers. So to me, that hypocrisy just speaks to what the left does time after time. I also mentioned Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman Um, I think from from the state of Michigan, who argued for releasing all the federal prisoners within 10 years, even when pressed and say, you know, they got some violent guys in there, sex offenders, child traffickers. She sort of gave some non-answer and said, well, not really all of them, not at one time. And time after time after time, you see the left argue for things for the public that they don't want to endure themselves. So my position is this. the You first policy simply says any policy that a politician argues for, they have to be willing to endure themselves. If they're against school choice, their kids should go to the lowest performing school in their district. If they want to uh, stop people from going out and earning a living for, um, based on COVID lockdowns, they should go on a, on a salary furlough. If I can't draw a check because you're closing down my business, then you shouldn't draw one either. And I I just go through a list of other um, areas in which I think that would apply. And the last one I think I ended on is the area of race. So often, Jason, you hear white allies, quote unquote, talking about, we need to listen to black voices and give black people a microphone. But they're the ones that are always talking. So my thing is, if, for instance, the Democratic Party says we're tired of straight white males uh, dominating the party then they shouldn't have uh, nominated Joe Biden. All of those guys should have stepped aside and said, we are going to let the people of color uh, rule the day and lead this party. But so often what it is is that people virtue signal and they make rules for other people's homes that they're not willing to abide by themselves. And I think we should do away with that.
2: It's a great column. I hope everybody goes to Blaze.com to read it. Delano, as always, uh, great job. That's why we call you the smartest man on the show. Jason. Because you are. All right, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe. Hit those likes. If you're listening on Apple or anywhere, give me that five-star review. Leave a long review of the show help push this fearless army. Make sure you're joining the fearless army and you're out recruiting for the fearless army. Make sure you're supporting the sponsors on this show. If you wanna push back, if you wanna be a part of the solution, you need to recruit people to the fearless army. You need, are you buying our merch? Have you been to our swag? Have you started, have you got any of our swag? We got fearless soldier, fearless army. We got coffee mugs, we got hoodies, we got t-shirts. We got it all. Support this fearless army. All right, we got another fearless soldier coming up. Jesse Kelly. You know Jesse Kelly, nationally syndicated radio host. He's going to join us. All right, welcome back. I'm really looking forward to hearing from this next guest, Jesse Kelly. Uh, He ran for Congress in Arizona. Uh, He's a former U.S. Marine. He lives in Houston, Texas. He uh, hosts his own radio show, The Jesse Kelly Show. Uh, Yesterday, Jesse tweeted out something, an analogy, uh, a hypothetical analogy, Comparing the Cal Rittenhouse situation, I can't do it justice. It's it's amazing that it's a long thread. I just want Jesse to explain it. He 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 walks us through what would happen if the Cal Rittenhouse situation had happened to a black person who was protecting a Detroit. I think was the city he referenced, and if there was some. Uh, pro-life protests going on that had turned violent. Uh, I'm going to let Jesse explain, but I thought it was amazing and it made a great point. Uh, Jesse, could you walk our audience through uh, the hypothetical analogy you made that I thought made a very powerful point?
1: Sure. Happy to. I, I, my point was simply this. I, I just wanted everyone to imagine this. Imagine there was a, a, a big pro-life rally somewhere. And I picked Detroit because it was just a city. Pick any city. Chicago, anywhere. Pick a city. Pro-lifers are out there and they're having one of their big pro-life rallies. You know, you know, save the babies all that stuff, which is great. It's fine and it turns violent. The pro-lifers turn violent and they start torching stores and kicking in windows, people are getting hurt, and this goes on in this city for two or three days. And let's say a black guy with a Black Lives Matter shirt on shows up in town with a weapon, AR-15, pick your weapon, and he decides he doesn't want this car dealership to burn, he doesn't want these dirty pro-lifers to burn it, and he stands guard. He gets attacked on camera, on camera, everyone has their cell phone out, everyone's recording it, he gets attacked on camera, he defends himself, two of the pro-life violent rioters are dead. Now, I, I, I skipped right past this part, let's just assume, we can, we can all assume he w- wouldn't be charged, that's an obvious, I'll come back to that point in a minute. He wouldn't be charged, but what would happen to that guy? I mentioned, I, I shortchanged him when I wrote the thread. He'll undoubtedly, undoubtedly have a book deal, easily six figures, if not in the millions. He would be that night, not the next week, that night, he would be on every single cable news show there was, and they wouldn't be hard hitting interviews. It would be, boy, how could you? How could you stand up to this kind of fascist, right-wing violence like that? What inspired you? Was it your parents? Could you tell us about it? It would be a bunch of that. He would meet with every single elected Democrat. He'd be sitting courtside courtesy of LeBron James at every Laker game he wanted. He'd be on every celebrity's Instagram page with their arm around him. Now the the way I shortchanged him was I pretty much stopped there. He'd get drafted to run for office, he'd speak at the Democrat convention. He'd win a Nobel Peace Prize. I had a friend reach out to me and say they'd give that guy a Nobel Peace Prize, and they would. They'd probably give him an Emmy. And I'm not overstating this at all. That guy would be already a household name. They'd make dolls, they'd be selling dolls of him in Target. But let's forget about that for a minute. Let's say they did charge him, and let's say he did get acquitted and you had a bunch of Republicans out there who'd been calling him a violent, racist, black nationalist the whole time. It's, it's on their Twitter pages. It's, it's, they've all written it down. And even after he gets acquitted, they're out there saying these violent, racist, black people, these black nationalists, they've gotta be stopped in response to him getting acquitted. And then some crazy white dude, some low IQ, violent white dude out there, let's say, let's say he's a Trump supporter, he's got a MAGA hat on in his Facebook profile. Let's say he gets in his pickup truck and goes and mows down 60 black people in a parade. I mean, God forbid, obviously, but let's say that happened. What would be the response? That would still, Jason, that was how many days ago? That would still lead every single news show today. But uh, Lead the news show, forget about that. Amazon Prime, Netflix, Disney Plus, they'd all have profile profile of a killer on this guy out already. Uh, his family and friends would not only have to move, they would all have lost their jobs already. Their employers would have been hounded into firing their people. His kids, his nephews, nieces, would not be able to go to school anymore. Uh, there would be an FBI investigation. In fact, I would suggest multiple people would be in custody. If you said hi to that guy on the sidewalk, you'd be sitting in an FBI interrogation room today. Today you would. There would be investigation after investigation, there would already be congressional hearings. It would be in the news forever. Instead, we just had a terrorist, a domestic terrorist, I don't care about his belief system, mow down 60 people in a parade. Apparently, he's a violent guy and he did this after everyone in the media, including the president of the United States, by the way, called Kyle Rittenhouse a white supremacist. This guy mowed down 60 people and it's gone like that. This is the largest domestic terrorist attack on U.S. soil in years, years. It's already out of the news. That is a bad situation and I don't know how the country can recover from two completely different systems like that. It's not really race is what I'm pointing out. It's, are you an aide to the left or are you an enemy to the left? And if you are one, you are going to be a god. And if you are viewed as the other, if you're viewed as an opponent for it, they will destroy you and everyone you know without a second thought. That was my point.
2: Jesse, I think you already know this, but I'm gonna point out the one flaw in your brilliant analogy. The one thing that's not remotely believable, and people will hear me say this, and they're gonna, or people on the left are gonna call BS, and Whitlock's just caping up for conservatives. But I can guarantee you one thing that would not happen in, in your hypothetical situation, if someone went to Detroit while it was getting looted and rioted, burned to the ground by pro-life people. And it was captured on tape of them attacking this guy. I don't know a conservative who who would be upset with that guy for shooting those people. I I think we would all support that guy's right to defend himself and defend the city of Detroit. And we'd be sitting there going, what are these pro-life people doing, burning and looting this city and causing this kind of havoc? You're a disgrace. You've disgraced our beliefs. And, and this is not the way we uh, handle things. And so I think the major difference is this guy, the hypothetical black guy, he would be celebrated by conservatives. In my view, and would be like, hey man, this is why we believe in the Second Amendment and this is why we believe in self-defense
1: oh I agree I have no problem with that at all you're 100 percent right it would be it would be you know hey good job buddy you're good you should be protecting dealerships you're right and look it's it's this it, I didn't say it really I didn't I didn't do the whole hypothetical thing to point out double standards or hypocrisy everyone with a brain knows that I mean even people on the left who are honest about it they understand that so I'm not pointing out bias or hypocrisy I'm pointing out how truly weaponized our current system is in this country and how we should going forward I mean it's not even about what happened going forward we should question every single person who is held up to us as some kind of hero and we should really question when someone is held up as some kind of demon this guy's a bad guy now I, I understand we all have to look into things now but I don't trust anyone anymore Jason I've been told so many lies especially recently with how corrupt this whole thing is I don't believe these people anymore and I do think it is a dangerous situation when they can just pick somebody and for no reason destroy him. That's a bad place to be as a country. Jesse, as a
2: former journalist, currently still somewhat of a journalist, I literally tell friends and family, if you see it in corporate media, whatever it is, if they tell you it's Tuesday it's probably Wednesday. (laughs) If they tell you it's raining outside, it's probably bright and sunny. I honestly tell people, whatever they say, believe the opposite. And, And it became very personal for me and what I really like had to come to grips with is like, I had a smear campaign run on me for two, three years when I was at ESPN the second time and I saw, how the blogosphere and corporate media worked hand in hand to totally reconfigure who I was and present me as this crazy, uh, mean-spirited, terrible person. And, And I've said to my family and friends who read all that stuff, I was like, if you think I'm the only one this happens to, if you've read all this stuff about me, you know me, you know how untrue it is. Do you think it's just me that that they're doing this to? Apply it to, and so it's, it's, it's one of the things that made me just go like, I wonder if I, they're saying all this stuff about Trump. It's just impossible for me to believe. The opposite must be true. I can't say that I, I believe Trump is the nicest guy in the world, but, but I do believe like, holy cow, what a hatchet job they did on him. It reminds me of the hatchet job that was done on me. And it, it was for the reasons that you're saying, because I didn't support their agenda, all, all 100 yards of it or 100 percent. I was deemed an enemy of the establishment, and, and you, know, you have to have 100% loyalty
1: to their agenda, or you're a potential target. Oh, well, I mean, obviously I'm preaching to the choir here, but the greatest example of this is, have you seen how they talk to black people who don't toe the democratic line or gay people who don't go democratic line or, or former feminists who decide they're going to go over to the other side and switch to the right. All you have to know about how much they actually care about all the victim groups they claim to care about is how they treat anyone who stops toeing the line. The second you stop toeing that line, you get treated worse than the people they already hated because now you're a heretic now you're a traitor. That's what I try to tell people, too, about the left in this country. It's why I call them communists. There aren't separate groups of these people, Jason, as you already know. There isn't Black Lives Matter and Antifa and LGBTQ and the feminists. They're all the same group. They are, they're all one group. They all believe the same ideology. They're just different brands. It's all McDonald's. It's just they have to sell quarter pounders and they have to sell chicken sandwiches because you never know what might appeal to some person. It's all cultural Marxism. It's all designed to wreck this country. And and you can tell that because of how much they work together. Why is Antifa with Black Lives Matter anyway? Is there some kind of crossover there I'm not aware of? No. It's because they're both just street communist groups who are doing what the Democratic Party and the media wants.
2: We're going to end there. That was fantastic. Jesse, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, Great job. All right. You're watching me on youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock or on Blaze TV. Uh, if you are watching over YouTube, uh, hit that subscribe, hit those likes, hit the notifications. If you're listening to this podcast, give me a five star review. All right, we're going to talk some sports and some college football hands with TJ Moe.
4: Uh, no it's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom.
2: Right, Welcome back. Uh, I want to get two different perspectives on what's going on in the college football world yesterday. Uh, and early this week, a big shakeup in college football. Lincoln Riley leaving the University of Oklahoma to be the head coach at USC. He's getting a phenomenal uh, contract to be the head coach at USC. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame to become the head coach at LSU, replacing Ed Orgeron. Uh, Brian Kelly getting a big pay raise and a big job uh, moving to the SEC. And so I want two different perspectives. I want a former player's perspective. And so we'll go to TJ Moe, the former Missouri wide receiver. And then we'll follow up and we'll roll out to Los Angeles and here with the Korean co-sell Steve Kim, who loves college football and watches college football religiously. Uh, We'll get his take on all of this. But we'll start with TJ. And TJ, uh, the first question I'll ask you is, who got
6: the better coach, LSU or USC? I don't think there's any doubt. I think it's USC. I think you're talking about a guy in Lincoln Riley who, you know, for what the standard was for salaries at, uh, you know, prior to the last year or two, he's making about 7.6 million in Oklahoma. His last five years are at the very top of what you can produce outside of about Alabama. He's gone 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 9 and 2, and then 10 and 2 this year. He went to three straight college football playoffs. He is a brilliant young genius. Um, he's not a guy that you're taking near the end of his career. He's young. He, um, he's the first guy that USC has actually gone to steal. And I, I have for years wondered why the top guys, uh, excuse me, the top. Uh, programs across the country, don't do this more often. USC is a top 10 brand in college sports. And so, you know, you went and got Lane Kiffin when he had spent one year at Tennessee of which you went seven and six, he bolted, by the way, he had already failed in the pros when he tried with the Raiders going four and 12 and one and three, when and got him was one game over 500 in the history of his collegiate uh, career. He failed. Obviously they, uh, they, they, fired him famously on the tarmac okay then you go get steve Sarkisian, after he had never finished better than eight and four at washington nice young good coach you thought obviously he had his issues with intoxication he was fired mid-season as well then you go get clay helton who had never been a head coach before in his life he obviously did not work out he obviously did not work out and so you end up with there's really two to three giant donors at USC who said, we are tired of this. We have proven under Pete Carroll that we can be absolutely dominant, that we can have Heisman Trophy winners here. And we're doing it in a place, the back 12, where it is not nearly as difficult as you're seeing in the Big Ten and in the SEC. So there is no reason we should not go get a top coach across the country. You went and got probably the brightest young offensive mind there is and pay him whatever it takes to get him there.
2: Mm. Based on that answer, my next question, your answer may be obvious. Who got the better
6: job, Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley? So there's obviously a lot of factors when it comes to what makes a job good. But part of what makes a job good is how can you ascend to the top the easiest, right? It's like, what is your year to year job? path to success. Now we see the Pac-12 misses the college football playoffs basically every year. I mean I think USC uh USC had a chance at it a few years back with Sam Darnold. They're basically not there though. Nobody is. The Pac-12 we how many times do we joke around and say, well, Pac-12's out of the playoff picture and it's week 6. I mean it happens routinely. We thought this year when Oregon pulled off the upset against Ohio State that they had a chance. Turns out they didn't. Uh, this happens routinely. You have some good programs over there. Utah's good. Oregon's good. Washington's good, off and on. USC has the name, brand, the the athletes in their backyard to go get them, and the history to go make a run at this thing. All you have to do is going in the big 12 and if you do it convincingly you have a shot at the playoff every single year i actually think you know you saw where lincoln riley was doing it in the big 12 that all changed he was gonna have to do that in the sec so it's a hell of a lot easier to go figure something out when you're playing the oregon states of the world as opposed to playing the 16-team sec schedule now
2: coaching salaries are escalating at a record pace, in my view. Uh, I saw Danny Connell tweeted out something interesting as he's looking at all the money that's being rained on these coaches. And he basically acknowledged that he's pivoted now and and, and like, hey, look, the players need to be cut in more on the financial end of this deal. And I know we had the name, image, and likeness stuff. But now that seems like Danny Connell, who had always been a guy, I think, that was against paying the players, is like, wow, you know, look at, all, you know, they're get coaches are getting $100 million contracts are getting paid $9, $10 million a year. Uh, it's time to cut the players more in on the finances
6: of college football. Do you agree with that? Well, it's a good question. um, And it sounds nice and simple. But uh, as you know, or anybody who's actually ever dove into this topic understands, it's not so cut cut and dry. I mean, you know, right after I got done playing, there was a ton of talk about the Northwestern team trying to unionize. And I actually went around on some different networks. I was on with Fox and MSNBC and some others saying, this is an absolutely utterly terrible idea unless you suddenly want to sign up to pay for some taxes and you want to be fired mid season because you can't make a, a throw on the out route. You know, if we're if we're trying to become employees, that's not a real brilliant idea. Now if you want to do this, I'm all for it. I think players should be earning some money for what they're doing. I don't know the best route to do it. I know a lot of how college football works is you have grants via scholarships and things like that. I mean the that this stuff's not taxed. So if you get into this, then everybody actually makes less money and there's less to go around. So if you wanna do it, get creative, get some lawyers involved, get some accountants, figure out how to do it tax free. But in general, my view on anybody who looks at college coaches making more money, and then they say, this is a problem because I think those people are not really problem solvers, I think they're issue takers. I think anybody who sees someone else doing well and says, I don't like that, here's why, that's not your problem. If you want to solve the problem of, of people making more money, of, of the athletes on the field making more money, you can make a perfectly easy case to do so. One of the easy cases is this. This past year, the SEC made $45.5 million. Uh, they paid that out to each school. Okay, You're going to add Texas and Oklahoma, so this number will probably increase. But the projections for the 2024-2025 season – is that they're going to be paid $67 million. Okay, so we're going to be in the ballpark of 23, 24, 25, probably more now with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma of payouts from the conference to each school. There's plenty of money there. So instead of complaining what college coaches are making, which, by the way, everybody's making more money. I mean, we're at the highest inflation in 31 years right now, hovering at six percent. Everybody's making more money. It costs you more money to go buy a cheeseburger at McDonald's right now. So instead of complaining about that, if we want to solve the problem of of players not making enough money, let's look at where the money is obviously going to be pouring in and go from there. You know,
2: I really appreciate you bringing up the inflation that's happening at McDonald's. Uh, because that is an issue that I think a lot of the mainstream media refuses to cover, and it hits very close to home for me. Uh, thank you, TJ. Uh, we may cover that t- uh, some more tomorrow. Uh, good yeah. job. All right, so we're gonna roll out to uh, the Korean co cell Steve Kim, and get his take. You're watching me, hopefully right now, on youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe, hit the likes. If you're listening over Apple or any place else, you may be listening to the podcast. Give me that five-star review. I need it. Support this fearless army. Hit that five-star. Leave a comment. Leave leave your opinion of this show. That's how you help this show. Not only by supporting our sponsors, but by giving me those five-star reviews. All right, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Perks! All right, time for the Korean Co-Cell. We're going to stick with the same topics as we just covered with TJ Moe, but I'm going to twist up the questions a little bit. Brian Kelly takes over at LSU. He leaves Notre Dame. Uh, Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma. Uh, For USC, I'll start out in Los Angeles in California. Steve, tell me, I'm sure you're excited about Lincoln Riley's uh, hire at USC. Why do you think he fixes what's wrong with USC?
7: Well, in in Lincoln Riley, you're getting one of the brightest offensive minds in football. Uh, You take a look at his run with the Sooners, four Big 12 titles. He went to the playoffs three times, and they're a top five program. You know, it's really interesting the reaction of Oklahoma fans. Right now, the way Lincoln Riley not only left the program but raided them and took certain coaches and it looks like a recruiting class over to Southern California, he's looked upon as a two-legged dust bowl right now by Sooner Nation. As for USC, not only is this a big hire for them because they want to play big-time college football, and it's obvious to me that certain factions told their school president, Carol Fault. Carol, uh, you could be green. You could do all your SJW issues. You can do all that stuff you want. Don't mess up our football. There's that old saying, we better not have a university embarrass our football program. So I'm glad certain people still have their priorities straight at the University of Southern California. But, Jason, I also think this is an unbelievably big hire for the Pac-12, who, quite frankly, is the worst P5 program currently And they need USC to be the flagship program. Uh, No disrespect to Oregon and the job they're doing, but when you think of West Coast football, there's one program. It's the Trojans. So this is needed and built in. He has a good quarterback in Jackson Dart, who I believe has a lot of ability. So this is big for USC, but it's really a statement that, hey, football still matters to us. Do you think...
2: Brian Kelly, take the money out of the equation. Do you think he'll regret leaving Notre Dame for LSU?
7: Yes and no. And I want to preface this by saying I never thought I'd see the day where a coach at Notre Dame who was not fired, that was actually very successful, would leave immediately for another college job. This was not Jerry Faust going to Akron here. Brian Kelly, in my view, is a top 10 coach. If you look at the track record, a couple things, though. The only thing missing on his resume is a national title. Now, he got to the national title game in 2012. He's been to the playoff a couple of times, but then he just didn't have enough athletes to compete with the SEC. I give him a lot of credit because the Notre Dame job is a little bit more difficult than a lot of other football programs because the academics, there are some restrictions, okay? And he believes, well, wait a minute. Am I really playing on a level playing field? Top to bottom against the LSUs, the Alabamas, the Ohio States, and the Georgias. And he's thinking to himself, you know what? I got to get that ring. Been to the title, I've been to the mountaintop, but I want to get that ring. And as, is he going to regret it? Well, probably not every two weeks when he cashes that exorbitant check, but he's going to find out one thing the SEC is different. And once you lose a game or two or too many games, That job becomes very, very difficult. But Brian Kelly, going all the way back uh, to Cincinnati, to Notre Dame, I don't think he's going to have any problems really fitting in at LSU from a coaching standpoint. I I do wonder about his personality, how that's going to really play in the bayou. You know, what, what I find odd and just a tiny bit
2: troubling about Brian Kelly's decision is that he's basically acknowledging you know what? You know, playing by more of the rules than everybody else because you have to at Notre Dame. Uh, coaching kids who tend to be a little bit better students than the schools at these Power Five conferences. You know what? <laughs> you know, this is fine, but I want to get my hands dirty. I I, I want to do. I want the freedom to do what everybody else does. And so I'm going to leave this program that again. uh, Steve, they still have a chance. It's an outside chance of making the college football playoff this year. And he left. Yeah. This is crazy to me. And it, it, it just speaks to the obsession with winning it all is paramount. It's far more than helping kids or being in a stable program. Or, or again, I guarantee you at Notre Dame, you're dealing with more two-parent kids than he will be at LSU. And all of that's fine and good, but the guy just wants to win at the highest level. And so, if I have to go down here to LSU and get involved in all the shenanigans that go on in the SEC. I'm going to do it. So, any of it troubling or just
7: disconcerting to you at all? I mean, on the surface, it is. Here's what I find ironic. You had one coach, as you detailed, says, You know what? Let me play some SEC ball. Let me get down and dirty in the muck. Well, Lincoln Riley, his school was going to the SEC and he said, Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need that gauntlet. Let me go to the Pac 12 where I could dominate recruiting. I could basically plant a flag in Southern California and really get about 75% of the best kids from that area, which he was doing in Oklahoma, by the way. So it's really two different approaches. One guy said, you know what? Let me take the path of least resistance in the Pac-12, okay? But the other guy said, well, wait a minute. I've already made the playoffs here. I just need to get over a little bit. Is it troubling? Yeah, I guess. Look, college football has always been a business now we're just more upfront about it. It's that old joke in boxing. Instead of taking money under the table, you just take it in an envelope over the, over the table. So I, I give Brian Kelly credit for one thing. He is what he is. Like, he wants to win a national title. Like I referenced a few minutes ago, he looks at his resume and he says, what's the one thing missing? What's that one distinction that is keeping me from being at least a coaching legend for my generation? It's the title. And obviously, he believes, along with the extra money, because money matters, it always matters, um, is that national title. And obviously, by going to a program that literally won it two years ago with Ed Orgeron, he probably says it's a higher ceiling for what I want to accomplish.
2: I saw on the Internet some people speculating that Notre Dame may have an interest in Urban Meyer, or he would be a good fit. Notre Dame was always seen as Urban Meyer's dream job. Uh, Has Urban Meyer's flightiness or off-field issues made him a non-candidate, a bad fit for Notre Dame?
7: You know, that video that came out a couple of months ago at the bar, that is certainly not a good look. But if you get Urban Meyer, you are getting a top five coach. But again, he literally said, I think a day or two ago, I'm committed to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But remember back in 2006, late in the season, where Nick Saban as the coach of the Dolphins said, what more do I have to say? I will not be the coach. Uh, of of this school. I'm the coach of the Dolphins and two months later he's in Tuscaloosa. So I I would take all those with a grain of salt. Jason, I think there's a wild card candidate here that would be risky, but I think the ceiling is very high and, and he's very well regarded. His name is Marcus Freeman. He was a defensive coordinator at Cincinnati that then got hired by Notre Dame. And he has the look of a future head coach. I read that Brian Kelly wants to take him to LSU and make him the highest paid coordinator in all of football. You know, Notre Dame is one of those jobs that I'm not hiring a first-time head coach, but if Notre Dame wants to get bold and lock in a relatively uh, unknown entity that might commit to the program for six, seven years, I I would actually think about Marcus Freeman because he seems to have a lot of support internally, but you know what I do find disconcerting, Jay, is that no longer is a contract a contract, and I know that there's language in the contract. Go back to Lincoln Riley. He literally signed an extension Last year. And now it seems like all these colleges and all these programs are now saying, okay, we got to commit 10 years now to these guys and pay them exorbitantly. And I'm thinking to myself, when does the madness end? You know, for years, coaches always stress loyalty and being committed and then frown upon players for sitting out of bowl games or looking out for their own best interests. At a certain point, Jay, what I do find disappointing is that these men who are leaders who are making really good livings just can't say, you know what, it's not always about the money. But I, I do... I do know this now, Jay. There are three types of coaches in college football. I was thinking about this as I came on. There's that iconic coach that you thank God you have them. They're part of your community. They become part of your family, and you hope they never leave. Tom Osborne, Joe Paterno, uh, Woody Hayes. Guys of that nature. Now Nick Saban, obviously. Then number two is the coach that you can't stand, and you got to get rid of him. You can't stand him. Manny Diaz at Miami. And number three is that guy that you wanna replace number two, hoping that it becomes number one. And it's this never ending cycle. When I grew up, Jay, and and me and you are about the same age, remember when coaches would get about five to six years to build a program? Now they get about two or three. So everything's accelerated. This is a business. You mentioned
2: Marcus Freeman. He's 35. He played linebacker at Ohio State. Uh, He's African-American. That would be a bold move. A thirty-five-year-old head coach uh, had a cup of coffee in the NFL. That would be a bold move that I, I could actually see Notre Dame doing because one keeps the costs down uh, because the guy's you know young and kind of relatively inexperienced, and he's jumping to the top of the line. I, I could actually see that Marcus Freeman move happening, and and. Particularly at a school like Notre Dame that, that again, win Notre Dame. I don't think wanted to compete financially with the SEC uh, for Brian Kelly uh, But that that would be a hell of an opportunity for Marcus Freeman be interested to see how that is Let me give you this final question Steve uh, Danny Connell uh, basically because of all the money that's being rained on coaches has kind of flip-flopped his position on, Hey man, we got to figure out a way to funnel more of the money to the athletes. If coaches are getting hundred million dollar contracts, nine, 10, $11 million to coach in college football, Danny Connell now saying, Look, NIL is fine, but we got to get more money to the players. Do you buy that?
7: Yes and no. In theory, I guess he's right. But with that NIL that you've referenced, these kids are making good money. The ones that are really good, the ones that are iconic, look, let's be honest about it. In college football, you recognize the quarterback, the guy that he throws to and hands off to, and maybe the guys that get sacks. The left guard, the starting center, the defensive tackle for the most part, they're not really recognizable. They're not the ones having their jerseys bought. I'm not sure about that because that becomes another slippery slope. But in theory, he's right. But with the NIL, I thought that was supposed to take care of it. I, I've read stories that the starting quarterback at uh, Alabama, Bryce Young, a young man that actually played high school football out here in Southern California, he's already got a, a multi-million dollar deals or deals in plural with the NIL. So are we going to tell him that? Well, you're not making enough. I, I I just don't get that. At the end of the day, the coaches are professionals. They are mercenaries. I think it's time for them to come clean, make as much money as you can. We are capitalists. The players have opportunities to make money, too, though, with the NIL. You've already taken care of that problem, in my view, for the most part. Now, are there ways that you can raise the stipend level and other grants? Perhaps. But in my view, and we've talked about this, Jason, um, when you played football at Ball State, And you go on your group chats, and I've interviewed players that have played college football and and did some great things outside the sport. Not a lot of them always say that I needed to get paid. They, They were actually very fulfilled with their college experience. Now, with that said, I believe that they should get something. But again, we go back to the NIL. Haven't we taken care of that problem?
2: I tend to agree with you. I think everybody's making plenty of money through this NIL deal. I think boosters are throwing kids money any way they can through this NIL deal. (laughs) So I don't think we need to legalize it. Great job, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell, as always. All right, you're watching me on YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe, notifications. Give me a five-star review on Apple. All right, Uncle Jimmy and I will go over today's show and give an approval rating on Yee, Yee West, I think they're now calling. Yeah, Yay, Ye, Yee, Ye, Kanye, West, whatever. Uh, we'll have an approval rating on Kanye. Welcome back. Time to wrap up the show. Uh, Bring in our man, Uncle Jimmy, uh, to review uh, my work today. Mm. Uh, Jimmy, (laughs) Mm. this is, I think, one of my all-time great performances. Uh, I'm sure you're in agreement. I mean, look at that lineup we had today from uh, Shamika, Delano, Jesse Kelly, Steve
0: Kim. TJ Moe uh what, what did I say in the opening monologue what did what? i say it's going to be tighter than a pair, than Jason's Quervos and a pair of extra small speedos <laughs> it's going to be jam now, that that now did that describe how jam packed it was it was jam packed but
2: not only just jam packed i was really good i'm sure you agree with that,
6: that
0: the hell if i if i want to keep my child support up yes <laughs> you were <laughs> Since so you put it like that, yes, you were. <laughs> oh well, uh, give but, me- no, I mean, uh, no. Honestly, man, just, uh, first of all, I'm gonna say uh, the guy was Jesse Kelly. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't know where you found him, man, but I like him. Jesse, is yeah. out of Houston, man. Right? He's got a nationally syndicated radio. Yeah, show. but I'm saying, I give it. Listening to him, come, you know, you take somebody out of their element and put them into your element, you like, oh, you know, he's about that. You know, for, former United States Marine.
2: He ain't scared.
0: Ooh, Rob! <laughs> yeah, that's,
2: oh, that's it. Right. I didn't, yeah, I forgot. That's one of your yeah. super feed brothers or whatever. You know? Simper five, bro. Simper five, my bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus.
0: I wasn't in the military, bro. Yeah, we know. <laughs> Damn, the age limit. There's a size limit, <laughs> there's a weight limit. <laughs> but then you had your boy TJ Moe come in here, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, see, and you got to work on this, Jason, because TJ Moe was dropping knowledge but it seemed like you really wasn't giving him your attention. He didn't get your attention until he started talking about inflation and how it hit McDonald's. That is true,
2: because (laughs) a double filet of fish sandwich is much more expensive than it
0: was just a year ago, Jim. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) And You know what? This is true. I've always heard you joke about a double filet. Yeah. And I actually went and tried to order it, (laughs) and these people told me they could not do it. At what McDonald's? This one right here on Nolensville Pike. They uh, said, "They said, is your name Jason Whitlock?" <laughs> I said, "No." They said, "Well, hell, we can't make it for you then. I was, "I know this one here makes it, <laughs> and a damn good one." Uh, and then you had your boy, uh, 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 y- your brother from another mother. Oh, the creative kid. Yeah. Now, man, I'm gonna be honest with you. I gotta ask you a question, man, for yeah. real. Um, so, what's Steve doing now, man? He's just getting up. And like waking up in his college dorm and rolling out of his hammock and just coming to work, we, we don't have no we don't have no dress code for Steve Kim no more, man.
2: <laughs> you know, St-
0: who the hell dresses Steve? Steve Kim make, make, making Greg Couch look like Versace. <laughs>
2: <laughs> look, I'm gonna give you making a good point. You know what? I'm most I may jump Steve Kim and T.J. Moe about this. This is what I'm talking. We got an image to uphold, bro. It's, it's like. The non brothers are kind of dressing down and it's always casual friday. Well, you
0: tonight. ain't going to say nothing to him?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Jen,
0: laughs>
2: you know you lying there.
0: <laughs> you know that's a lie. <laughs> well, they about to find out huh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this job too well. <laughs> Who do you think he is? Yeah,
2: I'm I'm a, I'm am I'm a, there's a good chance uh TJ Moe will be uh, here in Nashville next week, so I may address that.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, and I'm glad you brought that up. I had nothing to do with that. That's all, yeah, that's all on you. It had nothing to do with what? Bringing up that thing about how he dressed. I didn't say <laughs> nothing about that. Let's <laughs> get to your boy, Delano.
2: Yeah, Professor D, yeah. And
0: I'm, I'm gonna tell you this now, see, remember yesterday with Dave Shannon? Yes. Remember how Dave went down deep and talking about they got to die? You didn't realize Delano had to show he had some thug in him, too. Did you hear him today? There's been times that uh, I've been seen coming out of some unsavory places too.
2: <laughs> I, did he say that? He was talking about Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> but, but
0: it's two o'clock in the morning, though. You know? <laughs> and then wait a minute, I could be tripping. But uh, did Delano crack a little transgender dope? Where, uh, yeah, Delano cracked a little trans. Man, Delano about that light. Oh, life. Jenner. See, I didn't even say that, man. Oh, yeah, Caitlyn. You know? Yeah, I. Don't, hey, man, I, I'm just simply I'm happy to see, man. I didn't know Delano's showing. He got a little thug in him too. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like, I've been questioned by the police before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> look, you know? uh, let me just say that he'll put the ski mask on before a lot of folks.
0: <laughs> oh, I can believe it. I mean, you can look where. I mean, you can tell from the way he talks, man. I mean, he, he reminds me of your boy that uh, you said killed Jam Master Jay. But anyway, keep going, man. <laughs> I did not say that. (laughs) Anyway, keep it going. Keep moving. Well, I mean, but if I'm not mistaken, am I I down to last? And damn sure, certainly not least. Shamika. Jim,
2: this will probably get me in trouble for saying this, and so I want to apologize up front.
0: Real good. (laughs) Man, I'm not lying. I know Thanksgiving just passed. Damn, looking at Shamika makes me hungry all over. (laughs) We're in. This is a terrible conversation we're having. Well, but, but, but let me let me go ahead and get back on I just Speaker got you. Speaker made the comment, mm. and she used the analogy CME. Yeah. What was what did that stand for? Uh, Christmas, Christmas, Day and Easter. Christmas, yeah, Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter, yeah. And that's true. See, you ain't been married, man, but I'm gonna tell you something. I told you when my first marriage, my wife and I made the agreement that we would only smoke after sex. Okay. So after two years of marriage, I was still on the same pack. <laughs> this half up to two packs a day. So there is some validity to what Shamika's saying. And furthermore, let me just say this to you and Shamika talking about, oh, well, he lying and it didn't mean it. Hey, man, let me tell you something. It ain't, hey, man, it's been a many a marriage that's been held together by a good lie. <laughs> okay? Straight up, man. And, and, and Tron, honestly, man, y- y'all sit up here talking about Kanye and... Jay. Hey man, who amongst us... Who amongst us ain't father to child amongst the whole? <laughs> who? I mean, don't, don't be judgmental.
2: <sighs> yeah, I... <laughs> I knew you would cape up for Kanye on that. <laughs> Come uh,
1: on.
0: <laughs> you, you judge, live, judge, lest ye not want to be judged. Yeah. You live in a glass house. <laughs> I throw not stones. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, you, you can't. Yeah, you're right about that. There you go. All Come right, on, man. Let's go ahead and get to our approval rating for Kanye West. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get some of your thoughts further, additional thoughts on Kanye and his Thanksgiving prayer. Uh, look, job performance. He's a celebrity. He does a good job at being a celebrity. Uh, so I'll give him a 23
0: in job performance. Uh, I give him a 25. Perfect score. Kanye is married to Kim Kardashian and fathered four kids. Kanye's net worth is six million dollars. No, it's more than that. Six billion. Six billion. Sorry, excuse. Well, excuse. Me. His child support is gonna be six million dollars <laughs> by the time Kim get done with him. Oh yeah, he doing everything he's supposed to do to get that woman back. <laughs> I'm not mad at him.
2: Uh, uh, character. I'm I'm down on Kanye's character right now. I you know. The little Nas X video, and I, I didn't. I certainly didn't like this whining and begging he did
0: on video Thanksgiving prayer. So I gave him a three in character. Look, man, child support make you do a whole lot more than whining and begging. You keep. <laughs> a, I mean, honestly, man, you, I, 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 you you being judgmental, Jason. Honestly, <laughs> trust me. You you that that one that got away. Trust me, she'd have had you up here. <laughs> Listen, man, I give Kanye a zero because. No, he normally be talk. he talks crazy anyway, but this time right now this is out of character for him acting like he acting, because this time he keeping it real. He's serious about this. He's like, okay, I was wrong. I know I shouldn't have done that. And what you said was right about the... Ca- you know what? I don't even care about the fact that you slept with Drake. It's okay. <laughs> okay, just... I just want to come back home. So yeah, it happens like that, man. Yeah, you got to... Look, I, I've...
2: I've made some mistakes and left. I was going to say, Jason, that, come on, man. Toss some fish Jason, back into the water. that I'm. Jason, I when you
0: left California, you still had a dog kettle in your apartment. <laughs> Hoping she'd come back. That's why I left. And until today, I, let me ask you this. Just, yeah. Are those things paid for that you, are you done paying for them?
2: Stop it. Okay. Uh, authenticity. Uh, wow, Jim, I can't believe you went there. Authenticity, <laughs> uh, I'm going to What get... about the dog? <laughs> you know that dog, never like, I miss that dog.
0: <laughs> Man, Jason had that dog talking. <laughs> he would walk up, <laughs> It's like, look. What dog? Hell, I don't know.
2: Frank. Uh. <laughs> Authenticity. Damn it, I shouldn't have said that. Cause she watches this. <laughs> anyway. Authenticity, I give Kanye a two. And just because I want this over with before you put some more
0: of my business out on the street. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till tomorrow sees this anyway. <laughs> I give him a 23, man. Seriously, man, the, life, the man lost his wife, his kids. He lost his best friend. Life got a way of slapping your ass back into reality. I don't care who you think you are.
2: That's true. Uh, it factor. Uh, i you know, He draws heat, he draws attention. Uh, He was very arrogant, he said he's very, 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 very attractive in his deal. I'm gonna give him a 21.
0: You know, man, I'm gonna say this, and this is gonna really kinda upset you, cause Kanye is black, but he needs Kim's darkness in order to complete him. You know, she'd be on that other side, that dark side of... Oh, some people think she's a witch. Well, that's what I'm really (laughs) talking about. That's really what I'm talking about. Some people think she's a, a handler. Yeah, and that's <laughs> his problem because he went for a ride on that broom and he ain't been right since I Give him there you go 23. You, there and, you go uh, it factor.
2: All right. I've got him at 49 a dumpster fire right now Somehow you have him
0: perking at a grease fire 71 Hey, man messing with a Kardashian to get that for you man. <laughs> You can't, you can't hurt his hustle, man. Come on, man. It ain't like he's trying to get back to big ugly Kardashian. He's trying to get back Kim, man. Did, did I ever tell you
2: the story about uh, I had a Kaba- cabana uh, right next to Kim Kardashian at Wet Republic mm-hmm. in lost This is like when Wet Republic first started, and this is be- this is before Kanye. But I, I did get to see Kim Kardashian, closest me and you, in a bikini.
0: It's real. So you are saying. So you understand what Kanye talking about? It, it's. It's. i just. It's real. It's legitimate. Yeah.
2: Cabanas. That one of the. Put the. In like the, the corner of your mouth right here. <laughs> 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 All right. We out of here. See you tomorrow.
4: Looking like it's my time Feeling all kinds of freedom These words are our religion Our regrets and our decisions We don't want to go to heaven with freedom It's my obligation No hate, discrimination Raising up your hands for freedom